Talk Recorded live. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 655. My name is Eric Nielsen, and with me today, I have my regular co-host, Matt Longeth. Today is Wednesday, July 26, 2023. Matt, how's it going? Eric, I am well. I am back in the home office today after being remote uh, from the field from Pittsburgh uh, last recording. So happy to be back here in the office. Uh, the heat wave is coming here to the Mid-Atlantic. Over Thursday and Friday of this coming week, we are going to be in the high 90s with probably 80 to 90% relative humidity. So it is going to be typical July. But before we get to all of that, sir, my favorite questions. How are you? How are things out on the West Coast? And what is the color of the bay? I'm doing great, Matt. Uh, we're ramping up for VM World. VM World, put a quarter in the cup. Explore as twenty six days. Yeah, 26 I know. Twenty six days it's going. as of today. Everything is funded. We managed to squeak everything out, so everyone's going to be there. Matt's going to be there. Code Labs are going to be there. We made the Code Labs bigger. Boy, it's it's exciting times now. This is where the rubber meets the roads. So we're busy. The weather's been beautiful here. It's been in the 70s and nice, and we don't have any of that humidity that you guys have I've heard famously are getting back on the East Coast. So uh, happy times right now. It'll get dry in August, hot though, so we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll suffer. Uh, you know, I'm excited to talk about Oracle Cloud today, Matt. So uh, that's what we hang hang here for a minute. Uh, we'll do a little bit of the Explore overview. I'll swing by Corey Romero. We got some, uh, some good V-Expert news going Going on there i'm going to ask him the big question how many of the experts do we have so Corey, you can be thinking about that uh, it's that time it is it is uh so hey uh explorers happening go reg if you haven't you know you can always stay in the excalibur for like 29 dollars a night you know and then uh you know sneak under the main tent to get in i don't know how you're gonna, gonna get the, get your badge uh, get a vmug advantage and go 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 come because the 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 hub where we've got everything going on is going to be big vmug is going to be in there this year we got code lab tables uh we're doing gpt chat rest api code labs that's going to be fun we expanded the number of seats so there are i think another 100 slots open for the labs or it will be this week so stay tuned for that um so that's good we've got the code theater uh with all the code sessions alistair's going to be here recording the v brown bag sessions vmugs in the booth we got a studio we have a spreadsheet for the studio if you want to do some broadcasting there will be camera gear at the studio in the uh the hub so that you can get on a spreadsheet and make yourself look like you're live streaming from explore which are we going to try to do an episode from out there we, we've tried in years past no but- we've done in years past you know and uh just based on the the availability of everybody it's 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 kind of kind of challenging because we always say yes but then you know i'm pulled in uh 15 different directions so for example on tuesday i'm driving my minivan over to vegas right so we can we can late ship stuff in the back of the van uh and then uh i think i'm gonna do a pizza run to like six different pizza shops for the community pinball museum party so just to because we there's nobody that kind of order you know a pizza for over a thousand people come into the pinball museum so that'll be fun but so the end answer to your question matt is it's 
we always plan on doing this and then the damn event gets in the way right, the right? of error. yeah exactly so maybe we will maybe we won't uh so but it's good it, it's looking big looking exciting we're also getting I at reg i won't share the number here publicly we had set a number last week on the on the podcast and we've given some rough numbers but the internal number it has picked up tremendously i think turnout is is really going to be uh, is up there. Yeah, up there. And it, it will be great to see um, all the members of the community and, and get back together again here in Vegas. Yeah. And uh, I know just for the CTAB org, we've seen a 30% increase in the number of members that are going to be there this year versus last year. So if that's in the indicator of a good turnout, it would seem to be that it's going to be a busy, busy year. Plus, we're in the Venetian this year. So that's a really nice high end. Yeah, a little flavor difference, right? Yeah, as far yeah. as venue and whatnot. Yeah, so yeah. it'll be interesting Thanks to see how that plays. I know we're, we're going to publish uh, notes on how to get. Uh, to the pinball museum so we've got a map we've got a google map it's uh you're gonna walk you're a mile walking path. Yeah, you're gonna walk a mile but it's not that bad there's a train to show you how to do that or as i say if you really want the right directions just uh open your iphone flip to the left uh, click on the uber app and then put in the pinball museum address and away you go no problem here we are all right, Corey Romero, we'll flip to you for a second. Uh, I know the experts have been uh, going on here. What's happening? Hey, let's, hey uh, how you doing, everybody? Um, so, Matt, I've got a question for you first. Um, uh -oh. Bringing cigars to... Uh, Absolutely. To we have started a, tr a tradition in Barcelona, and I think we need to continue it again in Las Vegas. All right, I will uh, I will order them and bring them. Yeah, so for the experts, yeah, we've got some good, good news this week. Uh, we welcomed 106 new V experts from 32 countries um, into the program this week, which brings us to a total of 1,503 V experts for the program of, in 2023. Um, last week, we held a, uh, a webinar with the V experts uh, with uh, Rob Garrard, who is a V expert, and the topic was vast data overview with NConnect performance findings uh, with V expert Rob Garrard. Um, licenses for the new V experts should appear in the Customer Connect portal this weekend, um, as long as there isn't any hiccups with IT. But everything has been submitted for the new V experts to receive their licenses, and uh, and that's all I've got. All right, sweet, sweet. All right, well, good, good job, Corey. Over fifteen hundred. Always, always good to see new members uh, show up. I know the we had the lull of covid where there weren't a lot of people doing evangelism and going to you know be mugs and presenting so it's great to see people back in action so excited about yes. that all right uh let's get to our our guest today so we have todd um my head i don't know how to say his last name and bob goldson i can i think i got that one right so let's start with bob uh bob we always start in the community podcast tell us a little bit about yourself how did you get here uh what's your career arc look like and uh, make sure you unmute when you do this uh thank you for the unmuting yeah i almost forgot about that but uh yeah i've been with vmware uh 13 14 years i can't exactly remember i'm a staff architect in uh the strategic ecosystems and industry solutions business unit i came to vmware via EMC. I was in the CPU office at EMC doing technical due diligence for uh, our acquisitions and uh, investments in startups. So uh, it was made a, a nice offer to come over to VMware post acquisition and, and been working in the enterprise space since then. 
when you when you came here you know when you joined vmware what is it whatever 13 14 years ago how long did you think you were going to stay um i had no i had no idea and uh, vm is vmware is just a fantastic company i mean i the, the colleagues the people the culture uh it, it just uh it's been a great ride right yeah, I know when I came, I thought I was going to do two years here. I left Sun Microsystems and it was all Solaris and Unix and Spark. And I was like, I'm going to come here and I'm going to just spend two years getting used to Windows again. And, you know, VMs were predominantly Windows. And I think, yeah, I'll spend just a couple of years brushing up on my skill set, you know, around Windows. Because when you went, I, I spent 15 years at uh, Sun and, you know, you just dive into Unix and Solaris and, you know, everything Sun and you're kind of out of touch with the Windows space. So I was only going to stay here for two years but then here i am and it's like 17 years later so it's a long time thanks for that okay uh todd same question to you um sure yeah so my name's todd muirhead you're pretty close people mispronounce it all the time it's no big deal <laughs> uh i'm i'm in uh, vmware performance engineering i've been here for about uh like a few months longer it comes down to like 14 years uh, I do database performance mostly, which uh, is usually Oracle and SQL Server. I also did a stint uh, with SAP HANA. I did the first testing of SAP HANA in a virtual environment and accomplished the first uh, certification uh, where it was certified by SAP to run uh, virtualized. So I worked with the starting up that team initially. Bob was also a part of that effort for a little while. Nice. Nice. I got. Uh... I remember when I first came to VMware, I first came to VMware, there was a guy, Eric, uh, don't remember his last name, Eric. Rieger. Rieger. What's his name? Eric Rieger. Rieger? No, it wasn't Rieger, but uh, they no. ran the performance team at the time, right? And then it went to an Asian guy that was a good guy as well. So I kind of have lost touch with uh, who's over in performance these days, but uh, yeah, great group. All right, with that, Matt, um, we're going to talk about Oracle um, and you know our Oracle efforts in the cloud. So uh, why don't you uh, ask these guys some questions? So let's kick it off, right? We There is many of our SDDC as a service offerings that are out there right now within multiple hyperscalers. And now we have for, for a considerable time period, and I'll, I'll ask that of Bob and Todd, of how long one has this been available as a solution, and why Oracle? Why have we chosen as an organization to roll out uh, our SCDC as a service offering on the Oracle platform as a whole? Well, the... Offering has been out for, for several years. I don't know exactly uh, the release dates, but it, it's been out there. But, you know, more importantly to your question as to, to why Oracle, um, you know, you know, Google, is the, you, you, Google is synonymous with search. Uh, you know, VMware is synonymous with virtualization, and Oracle is just synonymous with, with the enterprise. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's our, at least Todd and I, um, opinion that performance matters. And the way that Oracle has uh, form formulated their offering with complete customer control, as well as offerings on the AMD 
processor shapes uh, really makes it, you know, the, the choice when deploying enterprise workloads. And let's talk about uh, initial deployment sizes, right? Uh, for this particular offering, uh, when, when I think of, you know, an SDDC stack, I think of uh, three nodes. Is that a, you know, in, into consideration here as well for this particular deployment? And then also, as far as the number of cores per host, uh, if you, let's just say we're looking at a customer that's looking to, you know, do a POC with this particular solution. Uh, what would be the, the initial configuration that a, a customer would require for both number of nodes and then of those nodes, what's the minimum core that I could um, you know, purchase uh, to light up that POC? I, I don't know the, the uh, exact core counts there. Todd is more, uh, has the information on, on uh, AMDs. But you know, single node for POC would 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 suffice. Uh, but there's other when we talk about number of nodes and also um, failover and high availability. There's there's some unique advantages when it comes to OCVS. And um, when when there is a failure, it's it's fully customer managed solution. So when there is a failure. It's not an automatic remediation, meaning that a, a new host is not added upon failure. It's customer managed. And the ramifications of that is when it comes to Oracle licensing and, and uh, you know, just to preface, preface licensing, you know, that's a discussion with the ISV and the customer. But fundamentally, if you have an automated reme remediation with Oracle and you, and you, you add an additional host and you have to fully license that host, whether it's physical or virtual, it's not a virtualization penalty or anything like that. Um, but so we're talking Oracle about has, licensing for Oracle. If we're going to be in full compliance with Oracle workload licensing, if that host within other solutions is on hot ready standby, we need to account for that to be in full compliance with those Oracle workload licensing from what I'm hearing. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, whether it's in use or, or not, you're going to have to license that that host. With, with OCVS, you have the ability to manage that and add, add that host upon failure, or when you're alerted, or some notification comes through. So you don't have that that you don't have to license that host until it's actually active. And and there's also I believe a 24 hour window where where you need to remove the other host. Otherwise, it's going to. Otherwise, you're going to have to pay licensing fees. Right. And then, what, above and beyond POCs, what is the the minimum number of hosts that are required? Three, I'm assuming. Yes. Yes. Three hosts. Okay. And, and again, is within other SDDC requirements that becomes a function of our vSAN capabilities, or vSAN requirements, I should say. So with, with OCVS, you don't have to run vSAN if you don't want to. So we what would we be using for, uh, we'd Local just storage. be provisioning compute and memory at that time, and what would we be using for our storage domain for those particular hosts? Well, you can just use the local storage on the host. 
I, I'm not saying this is recommended. I'm saying it's possible. So if you if you if you're if you're okay with that, you're not worried about the availability, right? You just want to run a single host with storage. You, you could do that. Okay. So let's just say I wanted to go up and I wanted to. I had some native Oracle um, workloads that I have refractored, right? And I wanted to test deployments of uh, native vSphere VMs that needed to connect to those apps, but I didn't want to go down necessarily down the whole entire full-blown path of doing a three-host deployment, again, in, in POC terms. So I could spin up a single host. I could deploy that single VM knowing that I'm not going to have that fault tolerance that's there, but I could do and check to see what, what performance would look like in, as far as connectivity between that traditional VM to what would be a native Oracle hyperscaler uh, backed compute instance. Yes, that's an option. And, and, and just to, to mention, you mentioned refactoring. That's kind of one of the benefits when it comes to OCDS is because you have full customer control, customer has full control, they can set up that VM identically to how it is on-premise. On and that's the way that, that Todd and I did the testing is that we wanted to show that when you migrate from on-prem to OCVS, uh, because you have that full, full control, you can set up the BIOS, the host, the, the VMs identically to what's on-prem and not be concerned about a performance hit um, with say grayed out um, parameters that you just can't, can't alter. So this is, truly um, zero refactoring when it comes to migration. I mean, for, for the test that we did, I, I just did a cross vCenter uh, vMotion migration, right, of my VMs directly over to the OCS, OCVS environment, and then reran the test. So it, it, you know, I didn't add it to make any changes to, to, the, to, the, to my database VMs other than the, the network connectivity settings, right, to get it into that environment so I could connect it to a client over there for the test. Sure. And what the, the reference that I had some questions in regards to is from our blog article that's over there on blogs.vmware.com, and it's entitled Leveraging the Full Power of Oracle Cloud VMware Solution in VMware vSphere. And we deal or dive into some performance uh, of an Oracle DB in a single on-premises VM versus multiple VMs, in other words, spreading out that workload. And I see that there's two sides of this as far as the graph, where we have a little bit of a performance hit as far as migrating that workload in a single instance up to OCVS, and then a, a performance increase once we increase the number of VMs, even compared with the same number of VMs running on-prem. So in other words, one-to-one, -one, we take a little bit of a hit, but if we have the same number, eights referenced here in the particular article, we see a performance increase. So Todd, uh, let's dive into that a little bit. Why do we see the hit for the single VM and why do we see the performance increase for the same number of VMs if we distribute that workload in OS3? I'm, the acronym city is going to get me today, guys. OCVS. Say that 10 times fast before I start reversing lettering around. 
So the, so the there were some slight differences between the configurations of the of the systems. Uh, so the, the both two socket Milan servers, uh, 64 cores per socket. Uh, the storage setup uh, was similar. They're both local storage, but the uh, the uh, the NVMe devices on the uh, OCDS uh, instance were better. They were a little faster. Yeah, so they're they're a generation newer, basically. So the storage was better, and that's that's why the OCBS instance, the OCBS performed better under the high load configuration. Um, in terms of the single VM, I, my conclusion or my my best guess is that the network connectivity between my client and host on prem was very simple. They're in the same switch in the same rack, um, whereas in the OCBS instance. Um, the the client VM that I was using was on a a different a slightly different uh, was on a, it was definitely a different rack I don't I don't know the details I wasn't in their cloud but um, there was a little bit of uh, infrastructure between my client and this I think that showed up as a little bit slower in a low so where you're the effective of where you were doing your jump box and where it was yeah. within the, the data pathway to where the DB lied could have had enough of, a, of an impact. Yeah, a little bit. So, and, and both of the results are really close. Um, and and we tried to get the configurations as close as possible. Um, but you know, it's not, we've only got we've only got what we've got in the lab to a certain extent. And I, I couldn't source exactly the same thing as what um, OCBS had. So we felt like the the results were were good and showed that yeah, indeed, performance is essentially the same uh, with, with a little bit of variation due to some. Uh, you know, smaller factors um, due to differences in configuration. Yeah, and and just to add to that, you know, one VM versus uh, a host that that's fully loaded. I think the fully loaded is a much better represent, representation of what the customer is going to encounter. You're typically typically not going to run a single VM on on one host, and I think that's where the uh, uh, you know we see the advantages of performance really really come out. Oh, absolutely. Right. Wherever we can distribute that, that workload and then distribute that workload amongst hosts or fault domains, uh, not only increasing performance, but then fault tolerance and high availability. Bob, you talked about migrations previously, and, and of course, the solution allows an easy pathway for a customer that might be looking to decrease their on-premises data center operational costs or consume those data center operational costs in a different billable model and moving over to a hyperscaler where we can bill these, these services as all together. However, I want to take it a step further. Or are, are we that that's that's keeping the database, let, let's say it is in a like for like service. So if I have Oracle running on prem, I can easily mi migrate that workload if it is vSphere based over to the, this OCBS solution and in a seamless way. But are customers looking at this as far as data mobility from a vSphere to vSphere-like platform, or are they looking at it as a stepping point to migrate what perhaps was that on-premises database to Oracle native DB services? I think I think it's a mix of all of the above. Um, and part of part of the goals of, of the 
benchmark as well as the white paper was to show that you can do exactly what you described this is a like like migration without having to to worry about um, uh, performance but if the customers say on an exit data platform and they want to leverage a hybrid solution being uh, you know running their database on OCI and then the app stack on our on our uh, platform then that that's perfectly fine I think this just gives the customer a lot of choice as to what what fits their bill the best certainly we talk about cloud smart right uh, an initiative <laughs> that, that we have been uh, on the pathway here for for at le least a year uh, and we want to, to be able to put that customer in the in the best possible position to know their workloads on their own whether that's running it on-prem whether that's taking what is an existing on-prem stack and simply migrating it over to a vSphere based hypervisor in this instance OCBS or you know using that as that stepping point to migrate that data as it's necessary over to refactoring it to cloud native if they choose yeah and hey Matt, exactly exactly yeah go um, on. I'm sorry and, and just you made a great point there around cloud smart and that's and that was actually another goal of this um, this study was that we didn't just benchmark Oracle we benchmarked SQL server and migrated that up over to the to OCS in the same manner and the 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 purpose of that was to show that we could run any any that you could run any uh, enterprise workload on OCBS um, and you know I just said we, we have a great a great um, multi-cloud story but you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense to distribute those databases across multiple um, hyperscalers, whether that be native or or or, or a you know VMware-based solution. So, if latency is a concern, then uh, you can run SQL Server and Oracle on OCVS, and if that fits your your uh, requirements, then then you, you know more power to to that solution. Yeah, one of one of the things that uh, you know I've been exposed to in the last month or so is AI ML models, right? And how the enterprise is segmenting out your AI ML compute uh, resourcing, where they want to keep some of the workload on prem because the models or whatever they're doing is you know is critical, and they don't want that shared out in the cloud. And then you have other bits of it, like the database or whatever, that 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 ends up in the cloud, and that's okay. And so enterprises are actually coming back to VMware, really looking at how to tease apart their AML strategy. I'm just wondering if you guys, I would assume that Oracle being the database business and really caring about that, that that, that would be something that they would be into as well, right? Which is huge data sets, but how much of it has to be on-prem versus how much of it has to be uh, off-prem in the cloud or what they're allowed to do in the cloud. Do you guys get any exposure into what's happening with AI and ML with that regard? Well, as, as far as the services are around uh, AI and ML, and this actually speaks to any of the services that are offered by the, uh, by the hyperscalers, um, you know, and certainly that's a benefit with OCVS is that you can leverage the OCI services. But we, we do see, uh, you know, customers looking at best of breed for say ML, MI, and then ML or AI, and then uh, best of breed for analytics, best of breed for, for for whatever service. And that 
doesn't necessarily hold true be, because you know it's what what are the requirements of the deployment you know using the best of breed across multiple hyperscalers whether that be native or one of our solutions may not may not be the best fit so so we're we're seeing that um you know what what is what is the best um landing zone for for enterprise workloads how can i leverage those services that are co-located um, by the hyperscalers like o OCI, and uh, that's how the decisions are kind of being predicated. Not not looking at best of breed. That'd be sort of akin to you know buying a car with uh, you know I need a Ferrari engine and a and a Ford transmission and a whatever interior. How do you deploy that? I support that. Uh, the common platform that we have with vSphere kind of answers all, all those questions and, and again gives the customers choice wherever they want to land right makes sense uh other question i had floating around in my head when i was listening to all this is uh is the sales process itself right and like how much is oracle much like vmware sells SaaS now like even though it's we're, we're billing uh we're billing cycles and we're selling vsphere in SaaS uh, SaaS models um how much of what Oracle's doing also lends itself to their SaaS billing model, right? Where, you know, there is, there is a lot of companies that want to move customers into SaaS environments. And so if I'm buying an Oracle product, uh, they want to sell you into that SaaS revenue stream. And this is an easy way for them to do that because vSphere is there. They have, you know, they, they already have, uh, you have on-prem product, you're trying to move them into SaaS. And so here, yeah, we have uh, this product, OCBS, that allows you to quickly do that, and then they're in the SaaS game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, having that SaaS model available is certainly another uh, a plus. Um, it, this is sold by 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 Oracle, and, and uh, uh, you know we, we help out obviously wherever we can. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's about the extent of that. Of yeah, it's just, just the that. extent of that. I, you know, I just look at listen to how big Oracle is still and Larry Ellison still, you know, the, the, the fourth richest person on the planet or some number like that, which is really striking. And you realize that, okay, there's a lot of backhand pressure here, just like we are always trying to move people into a SaaS footprint and then they capture, I don't know if it's how much of it is capturing, you know, uh, compute in your cloud, uh, they're selling compute cycles, but really they're selling they're selling oracle license cycles and this is the this is a great way for them to to stay in business and keep you know keep the customer in their corner by offering you know ocvs right it's a it's an easy sale right and i don't i don't know maybe maybe that's just the way it happens now but uh, i i see oracle as a as a partner that customers can't walk away from, but they want to get into the cloud. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's the way to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, another reason why you know we did this co-logoed white paper with with Oracle, AMD, and and uh, Deloitte, and you know a lot of people had kind of uh, uh, you know marvelled at the fact that we were able to get all these people to to co-logo the white paper. But the 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 fact of the matter is, it's a great story for for all of us and you know regardless of the SaaS model or whatever the selling model is oracle is so prevalent in in the enterprise space that 
you know, it, it's really beneficial for, for VMware to, to be partnering heavily with them. And I, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about competitors here on this podcast. I forgot what the rules are here. So stop me if I ask the wrong thing. But like, if you look at other people that would be in this space competing with uh, Oracle, uh, I got to imagine it's IBM and we do stuff with IBM's cloud as well, right? Where they, they have a DB, they, they sell DB services to their enterprise. Are there other people that, does Oracle even have any serious cloud competitors, right? The, uh, there's obviously MongoDB and the DBs, the, the new DBs, but just wondering who else is doing this that would even compete with them because they're just so big. Well, hard to say and, and hard to answer because we really don't want to get into uh, uh, comparing contrast. Right. You know, other than, you know, we 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 work with uh, all the major hype, hyperscalers and, right. uh, you know, again, you know, we believe the differentiation with, with OCVS is you know, among other things, is the, the ability to to for the customer to fully manage their systems and and really achieve zero zero refactoring. Okay, I'll ask another question. How prominent is Oracle these days in the database market? Anybody know you know what their total markets share of market is? Are they still the market leader in databases? I, I believe so. I, I I was actually trying to look up some of that information a couple of months ago, and, and I haven't seen any of the the latest papers. So I I, right. I can't attest to that one way or the other. Todd Todd may be uh, be able to to talk to that. Todd, when it comes to you know one of the things that I'm I'm reading through that we have linked it over to, and of course, Oracle has a corresponding blogs over on blogs.oracle.com on the OCVS solutions. And one of the, the, the subparagraphs that they call out is core density, right? The core density offerings that are available specifically for the AMD platform of 32, 64, or 128 cores per host, right? I'm thinking 128 cores per host that we can get some really dense workloads on there. And as someone that does performance testing, where do we draw the line or what have you seen as far as using higher density host as far as CPU count versus spreading that workload out? In other words, am I better off to, and I understand this gets a little, a little bit of failure domains and whatnot, but from a pure performance perspective, is it safe to assume that we would be better with more cores and less hosts or more hosts and less cores? Um, you know, it, it depends a, a lot, of course. This is the typical performance, right. it depends. Memory comes into play a lot in these discussions, right? So like how much memory can you get per host? Can, can can dictate things, but assuming you can get enough memory on your host to satisfy that side of it, you know, more cores per host is usually a great thing. I'm able to push, you know, lots of performance, uh, you know, data, get additional data performance out as additional cores are added to a host. So like I tested with these AMD hosts with, uh, you know, with the, well, the Milan is one that we did these tests with, it was a 64 cores per socket. And then the next generation is Genoa has 96 and then, um, Bergamo, which I think is announced or is out now, has, a, has 128. So, and I, I've tested with all those, and, and I can get scalability as you go up. 
Um, so, so in general, that's good. That one of the things that's interesting is that AMD has these uh, X processors. They have a, the the uh, Elon X processor that has additional cache memory um, added onto the processor, and those give you a nice boost for uh, database performance. I've seen uh, additional uh, get a good uh, scaling of that with with Oracle and SQL Server, for example. So in some of these cases where you know, you're licensed per core at the database level or at other software levels, it makes sense to go with these processors that have the bigger caches because you can get more bang for your buck per, per core, core. Mm. in those cases. It's something I mean, this is all as it depends. You have to try you'd have to try right. that with your specific workload. But I'm I'm just saying in general that's well there's a, a couple of follow-ups with that, right? So one, I would think that with this solution. Again, we had talked about that doing that one-on-one -on -one testing, right? Where we don't necessarily have to deploy a full-blown three-node cluster. Where we could, if we wanted to do total due diligence on this, deploy multiple single-node instances and run that workload on it to see what the performance variations would be, right? Whereas if you would do that traditionally on an on-premises data center, unless you had a really good relationship with your OE yeah. or your, your channel partner, that could get prohibitively expensive real quick. My other follow-up with that would be is let's, I mean, workloads change, right? This is the the, the ever change, the, the certainly the era of ever-changing workloads. And let's say we spec out, you know, a, a six-node cluster that that has 128 cores, and then the next new AMD revision comes in. Right, that new chip architecture is is out there. Do I need to spin up a, a separate cluster and then migrate through traditional, you know, vMotion over to that cluster, or can I add certain net new nodes into an existing cluster that are out there with this um, solution? How does let, let's take this forward to you know, let's call it six month or or year two operations when that database intensifies or through MA, we pick up a, you know, a mega database that needs a lot of storage capacity that wasn't factored into that initial workload criteria that made us pick the host profiles that we did. How do we life cycle capacity in? Well, so you, you can add, uh, you know, hosts of the next generation in with the, Current generation cluster. Um, you know, if you want to have complete, uh, you know, vMotion compatibility, which you would, right? Flags. You have to go the. You have to go all, our, the, all our same on-prem rules, I'm sure, apply here. But yeah. I'm just curious if there's any unique intricacies to OCVS when it comes to bringing those additional hosts on board with it with a newer prop. I'm not aware of anything that would be specific to their cloud. Um, that would make this more complicated <laughs> than it is. And, and there's a you know, as you know, we have a lot of flexibility with our platform with emotion and able to migrate things around. So I'm saying it's there's some complexities in understanding the details, but um, at the end of the day, you're able to move your workloads over pretty much seamlessly um, to the new generation. You just have to work through exactly what you want to do. Um, if you want to, you know, entertain some, you know, brief downtime to, in order to make sure you upgrade your virtual machines, the latest virtual hardware and get that latest thing. Or if you're okay with, with staying and, and uh, moving over. So, so some CPU generations, there's big differences 
um, in instruction sets and it makes a big difference. And then in, in other generations, maybe there's not. So, you know, you can, you can decide, but most people can usually afford a little bit of downtime to, you know, shut the VMs down, move them over to a new host, power them back up in a planned, in a planned way. Um, so it's, it's not, not a huge deal. But is there any other factor? I mean, you do performance testing for a living. Is there, as it relates to this particular solution, was there any data points or um, let's just call it um, unknowns that were out there or uh, dare I even say anomalies that came across in your testing that you looked at and went, oh, wow, that, that's, that's really key as far as IO through, throughput or CPU utilization or memory ballooning or any other factor that came in as part of that testing that the customer should be aware of as it relates to CBS. There wasn't any, I mean, the most surprising thing was the, the OCVS storage was was that much better to make a difference. Um, and we're attributing that to the, the next generation of that NVMe backend. Yeah, they had newer NVMe's than, than I did. Um, we were able to do this testing really quickly. I think we had the systems for like a week and a half and uh, we're able to move, you know, move the VMs over because I'd already done the testing on-prem and so we just, I did a cross center migration, like I mentioned, and then uh, clone the VM out to the number that I needed. And we ran through the tests uh, pretty uneventfully. So it was, um, everything was good. There wasn't, there wasn't anything, you know, sometimes you go into performance tests and yeah, you run into issues, you've got to troubleshoot. Sure, but sure. In this case, we really didn't have any, um, any issues. Matt, Matt, this what? is, this, it's just, it's just mind blowing to listen to this because I haven't been around the CPUs that much. And I'm just looking at, you know, online and AMD, Epic, EPYC, Genoa, you know, 3.1 gigahertz, 64 cores, 128 threads for like 3,500 bucks, right? And you can get a oh, You think about that, right? That's the, insane. The, the core density and then the backplane to support all of that, right? With, with next gen NVMe throughput and, hmm. yeah. But but to his Todd's point, to test now, you can just put the whole infrastructure right there on a single machine and just run the test because there's so many cores there that you don't actually have to put it to too many machines. It's just yeah, like what, two terabytes of memory that are the standard memory right. profile for, just, for these denser hosts. Yeah, right. Yeah, these are these are two socket hosts that we're working with, which is that's the part that blows my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, double yeah. it. Right. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of cores in two for two sockets. Right. Yeah, if you have that that application out there that hasn't migrated from socket to cores as of yet, uh, <laughs> this, this might be a win all around, right? You could uh, certainly the density there for, with, with what you can get out of two sockets now is absolutely incredible. Yeah, which you know, and this that that might ahead. actually be a good segue for kind of Todd to talk about how we're leveraging the AMD architecture because you, you guys are mentioning you know, increased core counts. And, you know, fundamentally we point out that you just can't continue to add um, cores without contention, having cache contention. So there is a, you know, pretty ingenious way that, that AMD came up and that we leveraged. So Tom, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Yeah, so with, with Epic, one of the, the big thing that, one of the big things that, that AMD did was they changed the way the caches are laid out on the cores. So traditionally, a single socket had a single uh, L3 cache, but with Epic, they they now have multiple L3 cache caches within each processor. So you kind of have these mini domains 
within. So the not only is it on dye, but then it's sectored on the dye itself. Yes. So certain so certain cores are kind of grouped. Not are kind of they are grouped with their own L3. So like each eight core. Or how they did the implementation for LL3 cache. But um, the point is that there's this difference. And so what we did was we made, in, in, starting in, in uh, ESX uh, 7.0 U2, so this is like a year and a half ago, we introduced a scheduler enhancement where the scheduler, ESXi scheduler is now aware of these differences and will make scheduling decisions based around that. So it ends up being more efficient and it, uh, is able to take advantage of the cores and it gives you an additional, depends on the workload, of course, um, you know, 10 to 15 to 20% performance boost um, because of the scheduling advantage that we have. So in the in the paper that, that Bob and I published, uh, specifically with the uh, with Oracle and SQL Server, we saw a, about a 10% uh, boost um, from using this, um, scheduler enhancement so, so this schedule enhancement is, is default you know so it's not like there, there's a flag though on the installer or of course in this particular deployment it's aware and ready to go that out of the box is there anything on the guests that needs enabled for, for this to be taken advantage of i think we might have lost todd there for a second bob are you aware of if there's anything yeah. that needs to be enabled on the guest no. But by default, it's it's enabled, and there's nothing on the guest that needs to be enabled or disabled. Um, when during the testing, Todd was able to uh, disable it, disable the optimizations only so that we can get the the uh, so, performance. To see the recursion, healthy. sure, right. But what's the advantage? Yeah, exactly. So it, it's 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 baked into seven uh, zero update two and beyond. I think Todd, you back? I yeah. think Todd's having some L3 performance cache issues of his own. There yeah. he is. Now we're now we're back and back up to speed. And and Todd, if you you feel free to turn off Sorry, your camera. Yeah, I think that might help. I'll turn it off. Yeah. Just feel free to turn off your camera. That way you get better bandwidth here on us uh, if you have a network problems. But yeah, and we're mostly audio on this podcast, so no big deal. So yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so the so the L three cache. So with the new schedule, we get this uh, this boost. We're able to show that um, with the testing. But this is well, the point I was trying to make. I think when I got cut off is that this is the default parameter or the default way the scheduler works now. So there's nothing that uh, you have to go in and do to enable this. We turned it off and did some tests to, sh to illustrate, hey, we're getting this performance boost. But that's something that's um, it's, it's, auto, it's the default, like I said. So, so you'll be getting that. Um, all customers will be getting that that are using the AMD Epic processors. Hi, Bob. We had talked how close we are to Explore with just 26 days away. Is there sessions on this topic at Explore? Will either of you be presenting? If a, a, a customer or a partner is out there and listening along to this particular podcast, is and they're going to be attending Explore. Is there a particular session that you would advise them, or sessions to advise them to attend? Well, for sure, they should attend our session. So, oh, yeah, we, we, that we, session we, number we, is. Um, I don't have that handy, but uh, if you search on Todd or, or my name, it, it'll it'll come up. 
I don't, I don't even have the, uh, I don't. Gold sand being just as you would think, G-O-L-D-S-A-N-D or Muirhead, M-U-I-R-H-E-A-D. Yeah, you have a better yeah, chance to spell yeah. Bob's name than mine, so you probably, probably remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yes, there are a number of sessions. Oracle is actually sponsoring our session. Uh, there's also going to be events scheduled around uh, around the uh, OCVS session. So following our session, I believe uh, AMD, Oracle, Deloitte, and VMware will be hosting a happy hour. Although it's two hours, not just one hour, so from five to seven, right before uh, right before the the party. D does that um, party so, have a high host count or high high host and core count? Right. Yeah, it does, <laughs> and and it's optimized for for our uh, customers. Yeah, optimized for customers and for workload. Fantastic. Yeah, and uh, our white paper. I believe they'll be uh, you'll be able to scan. QR codes in the AMD booth, Oracle booth, and our booth, of, of course, and you'll be able, to, you'll have direct links to the paper that we just, just released. We'll throw this in the show notes, but for those that are listening along, it, the session number is Charlie Echo India, Bravo two nine nine two Lima Victor Sam. C I B C E I B two nine nine two L V S is Bob and Todd's session that is being sponsored on Oracle on this topic. Uh, sign up there in the uh, the content catalog. Add that to your session builder for Explore this year if you are interested in this topic. Uh, Matt, thanks for that. But you know, I actually should add that we—I we, don't have the details yet. But our session has also been accepted into Oracle Cloud World, which will be happening, you know, the following month. So we'll we'll be happy to uh, to update, you know, the details as far as the uh, the session, session ID, and times and dates. And even in, in the even in the blog that Todd posted, because there's so much activity around the white paper and the sessions, uh, he's updating um, all that information. So it's all, you know, in one location if, if someone's looking for it. Eric, as we near the top of the hour, I'm gonna throw it back to you. What other questions do you have for Bob or Todd? Uh, I don't have a lot because uh, we are running to the top of the hour and we wanna be respectful of everybody's time. So we'll transition to, um the barbecue report because you know i hear that one of the two of you are from texas and uh, therefore texas barbecue is you know right up there on the top top of the land so uh we'll, we'll always ask like you know go to if you want to learn more go read the blog article and uh we'll put that in the comments to the podcast so you know go look at that uh and then uh we'll we'll do the barbecue report and we'll get tony foster in here from uh from from Kansas out there where it's up and I've been told it's 105, but uh, let's go to uh, Todd first. We ask at the end of that, we, we do live stream on V barbecue. If you want to look at what Bob and Todd looks like, you can go to youtube.com slash V barbecue, B A R B E C U E uh, and check out what they look like. So you'll recognize them at explore, go to their session. Uh, so let's go with Todd, Todd, uh, where do you barbecue? Do you barbecue? And do you have a style you like? 
So I, I, I'm partial to Texas barbecue, of course. Um, the uh, so everybody's heard about Franklin's, I assume. In Austin, yes, yes, I have. Which is great. Uh, it's really good, but it's almost impossible to to get. It's uh, it's too hard. So so my recommendation instead is go to Terry Black's, uh, which is also in Austin, but it's uh, reasonable to get into. You can walk up and get in line and have some great barbecue in short order. Awesome. But I have an important question for you, and, and I. You, Take your time on this one. Texas chili, beans or no beans? Okay, so this is a big question. Um, it, it is. This right. is a so, point of contention. I have seen people try to go up and die on this hill. <laughs> so I, I agree that technically it's not chili once you put beans into it. But I do like I like it. it uh, it's good. It tastes good. I, I like it. But But, yeah, it's not really chili. As far as that's that's the proper answer. It's the proper I, I, answer, Todd. That's good. They're both they're both ways are good. Oh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go Wikipedia that, and then whoever is the author of the Wikipedia article, I'm gonna yell at them, right? Because like, uh, you know, chili from my standpoint always had beans in it, but then I'm from the Northeast, right? Where you know we we were starving and we didn't have that much beef, we didn't have cattle ranches in our backyard with oil fields, so maybe you know we just need the beans to stretch out the 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 red sauce with the meat. I don't know, but. Uh, yeah, and Bob's thoughts on all thing barbecue. Bob, what, what's your where are you you're located? If you don't mind sharing with with our audience, and what's your favorite barbecue? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm uh, located in in Northern California. The accent may say I'm from New York, which I am, but I've been out here for forty years. Um, my kids have been born out here, so they all root for the wrong sports teams. But not not I don't get very much good barbecue out in California. I maybe uh, have trouble walking the streets after this, but I love Texas barbecue. I love Kansas city. You know, I love barbecue period. You know, it's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you need to go down to Santa Maria, California, down there, out in the cow, the, yeah. the, the cow fields down there. They got some good barbecue down there, but they don't do, they don't do barbecue sauce or anything. It's all just meat on a grill. You know, they, they, they believe down there that if you, if you put anything on your meat, you're not barbecuing it, it should all come from the coals. Right. And the, and the smoke from the fire, uh, they're not a big, they'll do some rubs down there in Santa Maria, you know, but, uh, other than that, there's a place in Santa Maria. I can't remember the name. I want to say saddle rack, but I don't think that's it. Um, but there are some really good barbecue yeah. places down in Southern California that you could, we're going to have to send Bob on a, a road trip, you know, when he goes down there and get some barbecue. I'm, I'm in, I'm in. There you go. Not a big fan of tribe tip though. But, oh, well, yeah. If you don't like tri-tip, then don't go down there because that's, that's yeah. pretty much what they serve. You know, you can get a good steak mm. too, but there you go. Tony Foster, I know you joined. It's 105 in Kansas. What What's up there? Did you just put your meat out on the out, out in the sun and it just cooks? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you just throw it out on the hood of uh, your car. It'll sizzle for you. You'll have uh, food in about an hour. Yeah, that's not true. I tried that. You know, you actually need like 140 degrees, you know, on your metal, but maybe, maybe 105 will get up to 140 on the, on the metal. Uh, you could uh, just open up the uh, door and you can bake it inside then. If you that's right. That you, could, you could bake it. You could bake it. Yeah. Any, any barbecue? sous vide off the, the uh, coast of Florida right now, if anyone's interested in that. <laughs> oh. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Uh, 
actually here a couple days ago, I did uh, cheddar brats on the grill and made a uh, killer onion sauce to go with them on the grill. Start out with the base of onions and add a little bit of oil, get them uh, nice and caramelized, and then uh, um, start making a sauce, just a touch of barbecue sauce, uh, just to simplify the cooking. Um, some garlic, throw in uh, a little bit of whiskey um, and a few other uh, spices in there. Let that simmer down and you get this great uh, onion reduction sauce that is killer on brats. So brats, for those people that don't know, are like sausages, German sausages, you know. So what's yes. a cheddar brat? That's like a cheese brat with like infused yeah. cheese, cheese bits in it? Yep. So when they process it, they uh, throw chunks of cheddar in there, mix it all up, mix and it all shove up it and in the, uh, put it in the sausage casing. Okay, so Tony, when you serve this to your guests, do you give them the business card of a cardiovascular surgeon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I do know a few of those. Um, but yeah, you, you got to get ready for the winter. Them. You got to get ready for the winter. Those, those Kansas swept fields get pretty chilly out there. It's worth it. Absolutely. Right. Bob, Todd, thanks for coming on today. We appreciate your presence here. We're looking forward to your session at Explore and the updates that are coming to the blog post. Stay tuned over on blogs.vmwater.com. And of course, additional content over on the corresponding blogs.oracle.com as it relates to OCBS. All right. Uh, go appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Bob. Uh, go get your Explore tickets. It's going to be a great time. Till then, go get some barbecue, and we'll be back again next week. As always, Wednesday, 12 to 1. If you want to drop in live, we'll put you on the stream and say hello.